favorite thing. I'm like a dog. That's my favorite thing. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> you know what I don't have? So I don't see Tanya as the clicker. So uh, uh, Pat, can you help me out today a little bit? Because uh, I never got that little clicker there deal. Thanks, buddy. Um, I was getting prepped this morning, getting my, my 24-point print so I could see it. And I was going through my notes. And I realized I preached on this very same topic, kind of the same way, in September 2019. And I thought, dang, I hate giving the same sermon twice. I never do that. But then I thought, I didn't remember giving that sermon. You guys certainly don't remember hearing it. And so, <laughs> so I thought, this one's got some twists in it and a little bit different. So I thought, what the heck, I'm just going to go with it. Because I could have come up with something new this morning. But I thought, nah, I'm just going to go with what I got. Um, <laughs> I got to warn you before I start, though. One of my spiritual gifts is exhortation, and uh, I can be preachy, and and I think that's why God made me the way I, He did. I'm going to be preaching on love today, and you may feel a little convicted, and that's actually a good thing. Have you ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit? Show of hands. Holy Spirit just get you, hit you with that holy two by four. It's always a good thing when the Holy Spirit gets you, because. What it's about is transforming your life. And sometimes a preacher has a message that is given in truth but with love. And as I read through my notes this morning, and I actually was watching the uh, video I edited for the online service, woo! <laughs> people got to be ready for this one. <laughs> but you know how I am. So it's all good. So I just want you to make sure that your, uh, your chair is in the upright and locked position, your tray tables are, are up. And uh, your seatbelt is on today because we're going to have a lot of fun. Pat, can you do that first slide for me? Ah, you remember this cartoon, Love Is? Wasn't that the sappiest, dumbest thing you ever seen? <laughs> Love Is. <laughs> I always hated this. Love Is Our Story. It's like watching a Hallmark movie. <laughs> Just horrible. And, and that's not what love is. And what happens is when you see the culture talk about love, they don't talk about it in a biblical sense and what, what the Bible says love is. They, they talk about it in a worldly sense. And isn't it true that in a worldly sense, love is just emotion? Right? Now, here's the problem with emotion. Scripture tells us that the heart lies, doesn't it? Do you know that part? Heart lies. Emotions lie to you. They change. How many of you have made a decision that was made out of emotion and later went, ugh? Yeah, three people, good. <laughs> I'm on a roll today. I know you all have. So what I want to preach about is, 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 is what love really is according to Scripture, right? We know that God is love. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. My favorite is Paul saying, without love, I'm a banging gong. Even the great British theologian, Paul McCartney, <laughs> said, all you need is love. But what exactly is biblical love? What is this agape thing they talk about? I just threw up 1 Corinthians 13. You know, you hear this at weddings, but this isn't about weddings. This is about agape. Agape is that Greek word that's a brotherly love, unconditional love. And so I'm going to read this to you. And then we're going to do a little exercise. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. 
It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. And it's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. Did you notice something about all those? Everyone's a personal sacrifice. Love is patient, which I put up with someone who is driving me crazy. <laughs> if you love somebody, you're patient with them. Have you ever been around someone It's like, you are going to make me put a pencil in my eye? Okay, every married man went. <laughs> every married woman went. <laughs> love is kind. It's a personal sacrifice. Sometimes you don't want to be kind. Sometimes you think a person deserves to hear what's on your mind. You need to get it off your chest. But the sacrifice of love is you don't act out on that impulse. That's a true sacrifice. It does not envy. There are a lot of Christians, especially young Christians, they look around the world and they see people that are not in the faith doing so well. And they look at their lives and they're not where they wanted to be. They're not where they thought they would be. They didn't get the things they'd always hoped for. And they're like, why do the unbelievers do so well when I'm here being faithful and struggling? Love, when you have the love of Christ in you, you look at those people and pity them. Because you know this word so well that you know in Matthew, Jesus says, people can have worldly rewards, but that's all they're getting. That's all they're getting. Now think about that for a second, which means when they die, they don't get eternity with Jesus. They don't get the rewards of heaven. They don't get crowns. They get whatever they get here. Congratulations, 4K. You're a winner. You pity those people. You love them and pray for them that they see the truth. We don't envy them because they've got stuff we never get. But it's hard when you're a young Christian, right? Because you want to achieve. And you think that achievement is worldly success, and that's the lie from Satan. So as you're discipling younger Christians, you've got to uh, disabuse them of this idea that when you look around and you say you've got to love your brother and sister, you've got to love everyone made in God's image, and they look and they see an unbeliever and, and go, how did they get all that stuff and I'm sitting here barely eating? It's a tough thing. But we love them, we don't envy them. We do not That's a weird one. Remember the Pharisee who's standing there and they're praying and, and the tax collector's beating himself saying, I'm a wicked, evil person. Lord, have pity on me. And the tax collector, or the uh, Pharisee's going, thank God I'm not like that sinner. Remember Jesus says, don't be like the, the religious leaders who pray in public and give in public to be seen by men. That's boasting. So we don't boast in our we don't say, I'm more mature than somebody else, or I tithe more than somebody else, or I go to church more, or, or I've been in this church longer. Please don't sit in my pew. Right? We don't boast about that. You know, for me, what I've learned in, in my walk with the Lord is the closer I get to him, the more I'm in the faith, the farther away I feel. Because the more I recognize who I really am, the more truth there is in me the more I need a Savior. We don't boast. 
if, if you love Jesus. That's the big if. We're not self-seeking. There are some churches that prosperity gospel. That's not love. That's self-seeking. We're trying to use God for ourselves. We don't do that. That's not love. That's not the love of Christ in us. We're not easily angered. How many have, I mean, be honest, an anger issue? Yeah, I, I, I have some of that. I have some PTSD and I, and I get triggered. And only through the love of Jesus and the transformation of the Holy Spirit have I been able to manage that. Plus some really good medication. We don't get easily angered because we're patient and we're kind. And we don't act out on our impulses. It keeps no records of wrongs. This is hard. I always tell people there's two places where you get to practice Christianity. True Christianity. You know where? The church and marriage. Those are the two places where you're running into people like this. And you get to keep no records of wrongs. See, when we forgive, we forgive as if it never happened. We don't forgive and say, well, Lisa, I forgive you, but don't ever do that again. We're not supposed to forgive like that. We're not supposed to say, Russ, I forgive you, uh, but I don't really want you in my house anymore. And we don't forgive like that. That's keeping a record of a wrong. Now, I'm not saying you don't have boundaries. I mean, God doesn't tell you to check your brain at the door. But we forgive in love. And we don't keep records of wrongs. And this is why a lot of marriages end in divorce. Because they can't reconcile true forgiveness. They keep records of wrongs, and it builds and builds and builds and builds. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. How many of you love the truth? Yeah, the truth is hard. Because <laughs> sometimes the truth conflicts with what you want. It conflicts with what you believe. You know, you read this Bible, and you see things in it in the book of Leviticus, and you go, that was cultural. Or, well, we're so much more enlightened today. I pick Leviticus because everyone hates Leviticus. I love Leviticus. It's a book of health and welfare. It's just a really good book. But you see things in here. That Paul says, or Jesus says. You know who talked about hell the most? Jesus. You want to do a study on hell? Just read Jesus' words. Because it's not really talked a lot anywhere else. This book has a lot of things in it that I can say, I'm not going to accept that truth. And I'm going to substitute my own. That means we don't love the truth. It means we rejoice in of Satan putting things in our mind to convince us this is wrong. And it goes right back to the garden where, where Eve is told, if I eat of this tree, I will die. And Satan said, ah, oh, surely you won't die. It's the exact same thing. And that's why if we love, as 1 Corinthians tells us to, we won't fall for that. Because we'll love the truth even when it hurts. Even when God's giving us tough love. Anybody experience God's tough love? Lisa's like, I married you. God, love always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes. God's love never fails, it always perseveres. He always protects us, he always, we're like, wait a minute, I've had some bad things happen to me. 
Where was his protection? And I'll ask you this question because this is something I wrestle with, going through 12 foster homes, being homeless, not eating, being abused. Where was God during this? And then I found out this one question God put in my head. He says, what would have happened if I weren't there? And that stopped me in my tracks. What would have happened if God weren't there? A lot worse. A lot worse. God always protects. Love always trusts. How many of you have had broken trust in your life? Someone betray you? Broken trust, yeah. Broken trust is a hard one because we don't want to trust anymore. And when we don't trust, guess who else we don't trust? We don't trust God. See, we project our, our issue on God. I don't trust people, so I can't trust God. Where was God when all this bad stuff happened to me? But love, true love, never gets broken by trust issues. Because we recognize it wasn't God. We always trust. We always hope. What are we hoping? Remember, remember that, that, that faith, hope, and love piece? We're hoping. It's not like, oh, man, I hope this really happens. It's more like looking forward. My hope is in the Lord. My hope is in eternity. My hope is when we get to eternity, guess what happens? Every relationship's reconciled. All pain goes away. We all love perfectly. We're all brothers and sisters in the faith, and we're all saying holy, holy, holy together. That's my hope. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm not hoping it happens like it may not happen. My hope is that that's what I'm looking forward to. Always hopes. And because of that hope, it always perseveres. Now, here's the quiz. Pop quiz time for you. I want you to take your name, and everywhere it says love or implies love, I want you to put your name in it. Russ is patient. Why did everyone laugh? Vanita is kind. Lisa does not envy. Right? Put your name in there. Put your name in there. What you'll find is some of it you're really good at. Some of it you need some work. Now, if you're a married couple, you both do it, and then you do it for each other. So Lisa goes, Tom is patient. Nope. <laughs> Tom is kind. Sometimes. Tom does not envy. He's good at that one. Tom does not boast. Tom is not proud. Tom doesn't dishonor others. I'm good at that one. Tom does not self So there's things you'll see that I'm not doing. And then we compare our lists. And what we find is the things we're fighting about in our marriage are where we're not loving one another. Where we're having issues in meeting each other in these things. It's a great relationship builder. Makes for a great conversation. Spend some time on it, though, because it'll take you a couple hours to get through it. But do you see the kind of love that God's requiring of us? It's a love that says, God's first, the other person's second, and you're last. You're last. Jesus said, if you want to be a leader... You got to serve. Jesus said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. And we're all like, I want to be Christ-like. Do you really? Do you want to be last? Do you want to serve? Or do you want to serve yourself? It's a tough question. Jesus is asked what the greatest commandment is. Remember this? The Pharisees are trying to trap him. 
And in, in Matthew 22, 36 through 40, he says this. It says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second is like it. I'm sure the, the scribe or Pharisee went, what, what, second? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is from Deuteronomy. This, Jesus didn't make this up. This is Old Testament. This is Moses. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. All the law and prophets. I was going to itch myself, but I got a mask on. I tried to drink earlier. That was going to be a mess. If you love God, you will not sin against him. I have a friend who's a heroin addict, and uh, uh, he wants to love the Lord, but he loves told him, the minute that he loves God more than he loves heroin, come talk to me. I'll help you through it. That's some tough love. Scripture says don't drink unto drunkenness, which means don't use recreational drugs, basically. And I'm trying to teach him these things as I disciple him, and I'll be honest, he's doing really great. He and I are talking, and we're making progress. But if you love God, you won't do dumb things against him. You won't rebel. And when you do, you'll be like David, and you'll eventually go to him and, co and confess it's not like God didn't know, but he wants you to own it. You know that confession is not about telling God something he didn't know? It's not like, hey, I stole something at work. No one's going to find out. Boy, God will be surprised when I confess this one. He knows. But he wants you to say it to him so you own it. And you say, yes, I own what I did. And I want to repent. I want to turn my life around. Even if it's a sin you keep committing, which is why Peter asked, how many times must I forgive someone who sinned against me? Seven? And Jesus says 70 times seven. Every single time. And that's how the Father forgives us. Even if you have a sin that is a thorn in your side, you keep committing it, you keep committing it, and you want so badly to repent from it. Love tells us that we go to the Father. I saw this great meme that said, Guy, kids are playing ball and the kid throws the baseball through the window. There's two responses. Let's not let dad know, or we got to tell dad right now. And that's our responses to, to God himself. Do we tell dad or we not tell dad? We want to be people that love God enough that we love him more than our thing. Right? And then he says, love each other as you love yourself. Love your neighbor. Love God, love others. And what that means is you won't transgress against each other. If I love Russ, I'm not going to do anything that makes a stumbling block for Russ. I'm not going to do things that will upset him. I'm going to defer. I'm going to yield. I value our relationship. And I know him well enough that I'm going to be servant to him. So I'm not going to go hide his tools. Which would be a great prank, actually. I'm going to do everything I can to serve him. Do you do that with people? See, do you love others enough to yield? Or do you think your opinion is more important than everyone else's? Think. There's a verse I ran across <laughs> some years ago. 
So I was, I was in, back in the church. I was getting discipled by Pastor Greg. Pastor Randy was here um, when Pastor John was here. They're all working on me because I was, you know, I had been out of the church for 25 years. And uh, so I'm trying to learn. I'm in seminary. They're working on me. And I ran across Philippians 2, 3 through 5, which says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in all things consider others better than yourself. When looking after your own interests, put the interests of others first, and then you will have the mindset of Christ. That verse is my life verse. You know why? Because I am a proudful, arrogant person. The world I grew up in shaped me into something. The environment shaped me into something that, that did not resemble Christ at all. And as I struggle and struggle and struggle to be more like him, all these things I'm preaching at you, I'm preaching at me too. I want to have humility. And humility means God's first, you guys are second, I'm last. And if you've ever truly done that, you know how hard that is because your flesh cries out to be first. You put others above yourself. And that means personal sacrifice. I'm a Facebook guy. I'm a social media guy. I can't tell you how many times I've written something and then erased it. <laughs> because when I think through it, I think, is it, is it, is it helpful? You know, that you ever hear that think thing? Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it uh, I? <laughs> Important? Is it necessary, and is it kind? And I find a lot of times what I write is political, or my opinion, and I'm venting, or I'm, and I say, no, no one really needs to, that's not, that's not encouraging. It's not edifying anybody. Put them ahead of myself. Yeah, I have very strong opinions. Put others, doesn't matter what my opinions are. I'm not going to make my brother stumble. I'm not going to do anything, if it's in my power, to hurt another person's feelings, to, to make them feel awkward or uncomfortable or humiliated or respond in anger. I'm not going to do that to the best of my ability because I love people. And that's what Jesus calls me to. And I'll be honest about it. It's not between me and them between me and him calls me to a certain thing he calls me to be humble and to love like he did see when i die i'm not meeting russ in heaven russ isn't going to be there and go oh tom it's good to see you i'm meeting jesus and he's the only one to whom i'm accountable and he's going to say how well did you represent me how many times did you respond in anger how many times were you unkind when were you not patient? Because you know what he says? He says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And there's a big word, if. And church, I'll be honest with you. Church with a big C and church with a little C here at Calvary. We struggle loving God and obeying his commands. Listen to this one. This is Colossians 3, 12 through 13. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you're holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion 
and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. When I say those words, even my flesh goes, ew, I don't want to do that. I want what I want. Compassion. Not sympathy, which is, ah, oh, I feel bad for you. But compassion, you really have empathy and feeling for that person. Kindness, humility, yourself is last. Gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive anyone who has a grievance against someone. So you're supposed to forgive, 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 as if it never happened. Has anybody ever been mad at someone at church? Raise your hand. Yeah, of course. I had a guy mad at me once, and uh, he didn't say anything. I only found out like three months later when another church member came, and he said, you know, this guy's really mad at you about something you said, then realized you never said it. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that. We forgive, even if you're mad. Scripture says, come to that person and work it out. You know that scripture says, if you have your gift and you're going to give it at the altar and someone has a grievance against you, go to your brother and reconcile before you give me your gift. God says, I don't even want anything from you before you're reconciled. This is how much I believe it is important for you guys to have unity and be reconciled and not make your brother stumble and love each other. Don't even try to give me a gift before you reconcile that. And, all, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Do we have unity in the church? Man, that's a lot of silence. Don't judge, turn the other cheek, show grace, show mercy, tell the truth and gentleness, forgive as you've been forgiven. And all of the rest about what we're told by Jesus is about sacrificial love. It's sacrificing what you want, what you desire, even sometimes what you need for others, for the good of unity and peace. Think about Jesus says. You remember that part where he says, you have to die to yourself, you have to pick up your cross daily? This is what it means. You've got to die to yourself. You have to die to what you want in order to serve somebody else. And believe me, you're not serving someone else, you're serving Jesus. And the learning I have for you today is if you're not doing that, your meeting with Jesus is going to be hard in a spot. If you love me, you'll do what I command. Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love. Now, I want to stop here. I've thrown up a lot of scripture. There's this thing called proof texting, where you find scriptures that agree with what you say, and you put them up, and you throw them out at people and say, see, I'm right. I prefer to do what... Paul did with the Berians. He commended the Berians because he, they didn't just believe what he said. He went to Scripture to make sure what he said was correct. I don't want you just to believe what I'm telling you. Get in this book. Find out if I'm right. In Romans 12, 1, it says we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Our minds are set on self. Self-preservation, doing everything for our own impulses. Do you know you don't have to act on every impulse you have? Sometimes I tell people that are in the middle of a sin, and, and this may surprise you, but even folks in the homosexual or transgender communities, I know a lot of folks, and I tell them, you don't have to act on every impulse you have. 
You don't have to act on every impulse you have. Because how many of you have impulses that you don't like? Everyone should go, mm. <laughs> Scripture says there's always a way out of the temptation. Scripture says that you're not given something that's more than you can bear, even though it feels that way sometimes. And what I tell people is you train yourself not to act on every impulse you have. That glorifies God. And it's a very big personal sacrifice that you do because you love God and no other reason. John tells us, I'm going to go to another slide. This said, uh, for anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Mad at somebody? Got a grudge? Family member that you're not talking to? Someone that really did you wrong, did you dirty? If you don't love them, how can you love God you've not seen? This is very convicting stuff to me when I wrote it. I was like, dang, Lord. <laughs> like I said, I've been back in the church for about 16 years. I was out for 25. I emancipated as a minor out of foster care at 17, and I'd gone through so much churchy experiences, uh, I just left the church. When I came back here, and God started working on me and transforming me, I met great people. I remember one of the things I did was I made Misty cry. <laughs> I was in a meeting. I'm like, Dang, I'm not good at this love thing, because <laughs> I really am not. <laughs> I was like, I got to work on this. <laughs> and uh, so God's helped me and helped me and changed me. And if you've been around me all these years, you know that I'm a lot different than when I first came here, right? But I want to tell you what I've learned by loving people. You'll be used. You'll be abused. You'll be lied about and gossiped about. You'll be slandered. You'll be taken advantage of. You will sacrifice money and time and emotion on people. Your health may be impacted by what you do for folks. But the most important thing I've learned about loving others is it's the greatest thing you can ever do in your entire life. I grew up in circumstances where I didn't love anybody. I didn't trust anybody. Humanity, I hated all. There's a, there's a shirt that says, I survive on hate and coffee. I could have worn that in the old days. And then God did a miracle with my heart, and he helped me love people. And are there consequences for loving people? Absolutely. Absolutely. What happened to Jesus when he loved people? What happened to the apostles when they loved people? Why do you think you're going to be different? Paul tells us that, or Peter tells us, you, why are you surprised that you're suffering? You follow the Lord. We're different than the world. We don't embrace love as the world tells it. That's some kind of emotionalism. Oh, I love you today, but I hate you tomorrow. No, we embrace love the way God tells us to, which is with intentionality. With the idea that love is personal sacrifice, a decision I make to sacrifice for you, a decision I make to honor God, love you, and put myself last. And that means I'm not going to do anything that makes any of you stumble. And I'm going to do everything in my power to encourage and edify and lift you up and do everything I can to make you even if it costs me. Love hurts. 
Love has a cost. So, what's love? They say, I want to be like Christ. Didn't Jesus say, you better count the cost before you say that. He tells a parable about it. Don't follow me unless you've counted the cost, because the cost is high. The world hates you. You won't fit in. You feel like a round peg square hole in this culture. You'll see the culture do things, and you can just shake your head and go, what is wrong with these people? You will be the light. Everyone else will be the dark. Can you handle it? Count the cost. The cost is you love like Jesus. You become a living sacrifice, as Romans 12 says. You ask to be first. New Year's is coming up, right? I got a New Year's resolution for you. Here's the challenge. New Year's resolutions. I am going to sacrifice myself in such a way that I love others the way Jesus I'm going to sacrifice myself in such a way that I love others the way Jesus loves me. If you can do that, you'll be like me. It'll fundamentally rock your world. You'll be a different person. It will change you. It's scary, but it's great. It's painful, but it's awesome. I want you to know I love every one of you, which is why I share this message. Because I've lived it. And I want you to live it. Because I've been on both sides of it, believe me. And this side's much better. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, we got another song. I don't have my list in front of me.